The interior of spaceships is also architecture. Architecture is organization of space, and projecting of interiors is the architectural aim. The Interplanetary Podcast, the exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts in Devon and Guilford, George and Matthew Russell. Oh, oh yeah, yeah babies interior Galina Balashova interior or yeah or interiors hi George hi. have you been have you been enjoying uh, the week so far yeah the week so far is good an apology to the listeners this is out a day late which actually worked out quite quite well because Eric Berger mentioned the interplanetary podcast in his article yesterday about uh, why Ariane 5 delivered the James Webb telescope into such a brilliant orbit so we we got we got a shout out by uh, Ars Technica and Eric Berger yesterday nice in fact the article was citing uh, Rudiger Albat directly from the podcast so we got a bit of a scoop there George <laughs> <laughs> Which is not bad, is it? Yeah, it's, so that it's was, bad. I was uh, I was pretty chuffed with that. So thank you, Eric. And uh, yeah, go check out that article. It's very well, or go check out the podcast and have a listen because that was a great interview. No interview this week. Uh, it's going to be a quick one because it's been a busy start to term. George, I'm going to give a shout out to the patrons long overdue. We've got the awesome patrons that give enough to me that they get a shout out at the beginning of the show and they are legends and as always it's the two justins justin roberts and justin young but also sigmund Eid and drew wright so that's australia the uk norway and texas that's cool isn't it that is all really over cool. the world literally co- all corners of the world covered there <laughs> so i'm pretty chuffed i shall shout out the glorious um, rest of the posse at the end of the show. Quick show today. I think anyone who knows who Galina Balashova, which isn't enough people, by the way, but anyone who does know that um, will go, oh, yes, we're going to have an episode about space architecture. This doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's an important one. It is, isn't it? And I, what I don't mean by space architecture is space flight mission architecture, which is very different. Really, the architectural practice. The aesthetics of spacecraft. Well, yeah, making them, make it, humanizing it, you know, making it you know, good for human. Yeah, making humans able to kind of interact with it correctly. And there's lots of architectural theories, and I won't go into them. We have had them before on the show. Uh, when we've talked to architects with space habitats, for example. But I thought it was really interesting. And I think Galena kind of needs a massive shout out here. Because when you think of design of rockets, like spacecraft and things like that, you're kind of bringing forward quite a few disciplines. So what do you think those disciplines are normally when you're sort of designing rockets, George? Uh, I'd say mathematics, chemistry, engineering, physics... And aeronautics. Oh, aeronautics, yes. I mean, obviously, mathematics is required across all of it, including architecture, I guess. But yes, I mean, astronautics, system engineering, comms engineering, computer engineering, software engineering, electrical engineering, thermal engineering. Plumbing. Of course, 
plumbing, bit of propulsion, mechanical engineering, you know, all those stresses and stuff, you know, you're pushing materials to that absolute edge. As we heard last week from Rudica, that it's every time you fly a rocket, you're getting all this new data because you're pushing everything to the absolute edge of where it's got to go to. These are massive engineering challenges across all of those disciplines. But here's the really interesting thing, and I think an architect listening to this will kind of have the same sort of thought that our Space Legend of the Week Galena had, and that's the engineers have a sort of completely different mindset from architects because they only design the whole through individual components. So the individual components of something is like, well, we need a processor. You know, look at your computer. It's got a processor in it. It's got a video card in it. It's got a motherboard and all those sort of things come together to make the look of your yeah, computer. But, I mean, Intel didn't talk with NVIDIA when they were designing their, you know, that current generation. Well, well, they, they may have had a little chance, but they don't really have an architect to make it maybe look more beautiful. Maybe that is something that Apple probably did more of. They they sort of they had a sort of more design approach that they they worried about what the the whole looked like more than just the components. But normally engineers left to their own devices will sort of build up something from individual components. So, you know, the construction of the whole is of secondary importance. Even like the James Webb telescope, for example, its design is really based on how you can stuff it under the fairing of an Ariane 5. You know, it's got to be... Yeah, that's why it was designed around the rocket, not the other way around. yeah, exactly. The rocket isn't designed around um, isn't designed around James Webb, and James Webb is designed around the rocket, but only in an archi- only in an engineering sense and less an architectural sense. Of course, it doesn't really need architecture in that sense because it doesn't contain any humans and things like that. Although there is there is definitely an aesthetic, isn't there, to to the James Webb Space Telescope? But I should imagine that the aesthetic is very secondary to the technical yeah, if, aspect. If aliens put it in a museum, we do want them to see something that's quite cool. You know, we don't want them just like to have this art- artifact that is like really important, but it looked really terrible. Yeah, but a lot of, of course, a lot of um, spacecraft do look really terrible. Like the lunar lander just looks like a like a bunch of piping. No, I think it's quite tin, cool. Tin, I th- it's quite cool, but it's like it does look like a bunch of piping and scaff poles covered in tin foil. It's ironic, though, Dad. Oh, is okay. It's ironically cool. It's like a so. neo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, anyway, so space architecture, right? You've got this theory and practice of designing uh, inhabited environments in outer space. So, and there are quite a few institutions now that sort of take this really seriously so there was a mission statement for space architect space architecture developed at the world space congress for example in houston 2002 2002 is quite late isn't it by members of the technical aerospace architectural subcommittee of the american institute of aeronautics and astronautics so you know there that that architectural approach is being taken really seriously so it must include physiology psychology and sociology as well as aerospace engineering in those all those things that i mentioned i mean obviously there was really early proponents of this stuff you had solkovsky who who was designing spacecraft and looking at the architecture and how humans might live in it and you've got von braun also doing things like uh, building 
space stations that would then, you know, if you think about 2001 A Space Odyssey and the space station in that, it's it very much comes out of the architectural des- designs of von Braun. You know, he's not just an engineer. He kind of is an architect of space, as was Salkowski. You know, these are sort of visionary visionary people, slightly more, um, I guess they're more cross-discipline than, than your average rocket engineer. Um, but that, but I, and, and an interesting thing, a lot of people think that the start of space architecture is when a guy called Raymond Lower, Lowy, Raymond Lowy was, uh, worked at NASA and against all the objections of engineers in 1968, he managed to persuade NASA to include an observation window on the Skylab laboratory, right? And and that's 1968 is considered the start of space architecture, you know, where where the architects are winning over the over the engineers and thinking about the psychological dimension of spacecraft design. But what do you think? Do you think that's true, or do you think we're slightly, we have a slightly American-centric view on things? I, I mean, I don't know. The psych, the psychological aspects, quite important because y- you have to keep your your just as much as you need, like life support, for example. You know, to clean the air, to give your mm. astronauts water. If they're going mental and crashing, you know, or like doing things wrong that leads to the mission failure that's just as bad so just as much as you need like life support and stuff well maybe not just as much but but e- equal to that fact you you also need to keep your astronauts sane and one way to do that is to have good architecture to not walls and things that are like colors that make you go insane <laughs> depressing yeah depressingly riveted walls colored, colored the same color that cigarette packets are riveted walls that aren't riveting if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously Yuri Gagarin didn't really have any any architectural influence on his space capsule. He really is just strapped down to a deck chair and sent into orbit in a metal ball. And he's not really going anywhere and it doesn't last very long. But the Russians knew that, that you know, after Vostok and Vok- Voskhod, which were the kind of successors when they wanted to get to soyuz they were thinking much more about the soyuz module actually having a habitation module or an orbital module that would require the astronaut to maybe get out of his chair and do stuff but you're on the soyuz is that little ball thing at the above the uh, actual mm. capsule mm. and the remarkable thing is of, of course soyuz really is the first spacecraft to, to employ a space architect. Now, the reason why I think that we, we think of Raymond Lowy in 1968 as being the first space architect is because poor old Galina Balashova, she wasn't allowed to say anything until the collapse of Russia and Perestroika and all those state secrets being revealed. You know, she would have been in violation of state secrets had she had spoken up and said, well, actually... I was doing all this stuff. I mean, Galina Balashova was basically called in to help with Soyuz. So let me give you a bit of a background. She's born born in Kolomna and educated at the Moscow Architectural Institute and actually started her career as as an architect in 1955 
and and a lot of her work is is was removing decorative items from decadent residential buildings you know it, it's kind of at the start of that kind of brutalism and and you know getting rid of all that stuff that 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 represented the bourgeoisie i guess in, yeah just in concrete and of, that's it yeah yeah how dare you how dare you want to make your home look pretty brutalism does look cool though yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. So in 1957, she, she became a senior architect at a at a department of the Russian state called the OKB-1. And of course, everyone who's a space nerd knows what that um what that department is. It is the department that was responsible for the Soviet space program. So it's actually full title is Special Design Bureau number one of RD Institute number 88. Now, I know that's really hard to get your head around, but in Russian that 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 translates to OKB-1 of N11-88. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> and this was actually Kor- Korolov's design bureau. He was the first kind of boss. So Korolov, the the great architect of the Russian space age. And, you know, the first thing he did was Sputnik, of course, that is the start of the space age. And then Yuri Gagarin's Vostok 1. Absolutely amazing. And now that company is known as PAOS.P.Korolev Rocket and Space Corporation Energia, which, as many of you know, boils down in Russian to RSC Energia, Energia. RKK Energia, Energia being Russian for energy. And of course, it that is the big um, Russian space industry. That is pretty much all of the Russian space industry. And it's been renationalized as of like 2008 or something, um, 11 maybe. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's been responsible for all the big Russian stuff. She's working... F- for hist- the, the historical Russian space agency, basically. And um, so she's working there initially to z- design the residence for all the employers, employees. But then she actually gets asked to join up and start helping out with the spacecraft. So she is the only woman in the history of outer space to have played a key role in designing four generations of spacecraft. So... She's she helped with the design, not just helped, but like a, a serious, serious participant in the Soyuz, the Mir space station, Salyut, which of course is part of the International Space Station, and of course the Russian equivalent of the space shuttle, the Buran. I think we need justice for the Buran as well. Like it's better, it's better than the space <laughs> yeah. shuttle. You got to admit. I don't have to admit anything, but it, it is very cool in the fact that it can be complete. It could be completely robotic. It didn't need, not unlike the space shuttle. Although it I suppose the space pilots. shuttle recovering the main engines is probably its main benefit, which is better than SLS that chucks those brilliantly designed, probably the best ever uh, rocket engines ever made, and chucks them into the sea. Which was the whole point of the space shuttle that it didn't yeah, have to. That's actually what it's all designed around is keeping those <laughs> engines not in the sea. <laughs> not in the sea. And SLS is determined to dump them in the sea. It's really more of them each time. 
brilliant. Well, anyway, she retired at the collapse of the... Yeah, one more each time as well. <laughs> yeah, she del- she actually retired at the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. And at that point, all her work suddenly became available to the public because it's no longer a state secret. Um, so it, it all kind of started after after Yuri Gagarin and a few other of the other kind of space, you know, Tereskova and all those kind of people going up in the predecessors to Soyuz. They were looking at Soyuz and the the design prototype was was given to Korolov in a kind of wooden model. And Sergei Pavlovich was totally enraged by this model and said, you know, this is just this is garbage. We need to find a better solution and we need to find it this week. <laughs> Which is pretty scary. So Konstantin Petrovich Fyoktistov thought that it needed an uh, an artist and a sort of artistic flair to it. Uh, so Viktor Petrovich Duyamin, who was an artist, uh, was asked to do that design, but he realised that it was much more of a sort of planning task. In other words, it's not like a designer's task. This is an architect's task. And so he knew Galina, who was the senior architect of the firm. So she was out there designing the buildings for where the employees lived. And he said, well, why don't you go see Galina? And she'll be able to do something. So Galina was invited over, but they had to meet in the stairwell because they weren't allowed to go into each other's offices because it was all top secret. And she was asked to design this habitation module as soon as possible. So she took it home for the weekend and she converted all the different bits into different into you know she she took her architectural flair and did things like um converted one of the compartments left of the entry hatch into a savant which is a type of cabinet with equipment in uh and then she you know she put the toilet in the right place she put a divan right next to the entry hatch and things like that and she brought these sketches and um, this was passed on to Korolev, who was so impressed. Uh, he said, "Right, that's it. This is this is how we're going to build. This is how we're going to build it according to your design. Uh, can you go off and and make sure that it that it's you know gets done?" And so this is all done in watercolors, and her watercolors are really cool. What do you think about that? I think it's insane that people can do these those kinds of drawings and in like in watercolor and stuff. Of because you got to remember that the interior of of this of these you know the russian style kind of soyuz rockets are like a sphere or a hmm. you know a cylinder it's very hard to kind of um draw like let like just imagine let alone draw like how you're going to put cupboards and things in in a sphere and seats and a hmm. toilet and things and and i'm very impressed with architects because they not only are they kind of it's not an artistic thing. They have to. They have to understand materials and and the way people move around and 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 how the colours and everything are going to affect everything. Well, it's, it's kind of like UI that, design. It's like it's part art, but then also you need to understand programming and just generally what's quick, what works. Yeah, it's 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 a discipline that requires lots and lots of skill sets all to come together, isn't it? And obviously, Galena must have been essentially a genius because she's her this sketch she's done over the weekend is perhaps the most influential sketch, uh, architectural sketch when it comes to you know 
spacecraft ever. They they built full-sized models from metal in, instead of wood based on her drawings. And so she would go down and she would occasionally say, mm, I don't like that, I don't like that. And, and she would make sure that it was better done. Uh, but then Korolev, as it, this was being done, phoned her up and said, I need it to look more modern. I want the interior to look more modern. So she, she drew up two variants. And the only real difference was one was pale blue and yellowish and the other was greyish green and brown. The classic Soyuz interior colour. The cl- the, yeah, the classic greyish green and brown of, of when you see Soyuz. And I've often thought, what is it about like the, the Russian architecture always has that style to it's it? It's always like a dark it, green or like a pale yeah. yellow. And that comes from Galena. I've got, I've got Galena, a, a, a really nice book architect of the soviet space program and it's got lots of pictures of her drawings and and just and color swabs and things like that, that so she, she, did. she came up with that that style of of that color because yep. that is in like all russian spacecraft from that point were colored in that color scheme yeah and korolov loved it loved that particular color scheme there is <clears throat> there is some I, I haven't found the citation for this, but but uh, someone suggested that that green was chosen so that the television sets at the time would more likely uh, produce the colour truthfully, and so that when it when they were filming inside, it would look more realistic. But I I, I couldn't really I couldn't really find evidence for that, but I'm I'm willing to accept it. Um. So yeah, I mean, so they, they they actually built these things up, and and you know that that was it. You know, they they ended up ended up just as the Soyuz spacecraft. These interiors, and and there's an extra bit to this is she used to in the designs. There's these beautiful murals located by the handrails <laughs> inside the uh, spacecraft, and uh, one of the uh, engineers, Antoli Afanasov. Uh, he sort of said, well, where are the pictures coming from? Who's making the pictures? So Galena herself would go home and she would paint, do these watercolour pictures based on, you know, holidays with her parents and scenes from the Black Sea and uh, her garden in Lobna and things like that. And she would, you know, do these little paintings. But none of those paintings exist annoyingly because they're the, they, they're burnt up in the in the spacecraft when it comes in for a landing. It's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, that is really annoying. Because, because <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to see, like, that's that's a part of history almost, oh. you know? Oh, it's 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 a, me- a mega part But just, part just of think history. how many paintings from, you know, Da Vinci <clears throat> or, or, you know, like, so so many of, so many paintings, for, like, from the past are just, we, we just never will see. We'll never see, yeah, we'll never see. And, and and this kind of has to go along with it. There's all these fantastic pictures that went up with the early Soyuz spacecraft that were in that were part of the interiors of the spacecraft, these little pictures of her garden and stuff like that. We'll never see them. We'll never see what they look like. But, of course, for her and the astronauts, they're going to be completely imprinted on their memory. I bet you could get... Um, I bet you could get older Lexi Leonoff before he died and said, can you remember what your little painting was like? And he would go, yeah, it, it, it looked like this. And then started to describe some scene from the window of Galena's apartment in Podlipka. 
It's already quite the same as seeing the painting, though. No, it's not quite the same as seeing the painting. Oh, Alexei Leonov, of course, he could have repainted it himself. So it could have been Alexei Leonov's transcription of Galina Balashova's paint, original painting. Ah, oh, never mind. Why don't they put the murals on the inside of the, sh- the spacecraft? Well, it, it was, but it, it but that bit of the spacecraft is the bit that sort of comes off and gets burnt oh, up. Oh, like it was part of this, that's this, the ball at the top of it. That comes yeah, off. so it's the bit yeah. that, yeah, it's, yeah, the, uh, yeah, unfortunately. The crew, what, what's it called? The, the crew module well, or well, something? Well, the, well, the, well the, orbit, the orbital module, yeah, yeah, rather yeah. Than, well, the, which was originally called the habitation module. Yeah. Uh, and then, so yeah, it was, I, I would, I mean, imagine. I wonder if there's, I wonder if she kept any spare. Surely she, she uh, did a draft before doing the final thing. No, I think she's just one of those artists that could knock out really nice, you know, watercolor drawings and paintings. How was it? How yeah. was it transposed onto the spacecraft? Surely it was like a, a vinyl or something, and maybe the original was still there. The way that she did a lot of this stuff was the way that the colors actually work to give the astronauts an orientation. So the sort of darker colors are nearer the floor, and the lighter colors are going near the top. And that's you know all those kind of elements to what she's doing. But, you know, she would have been in charge of, you know, choosing materials and stuff like that. And and so a lot of the colours, I guess, may have been dictated, you know, like the, 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 the way that, like you said, the way that all the kind of metal parts are p- painted in that certain green. Maybe that is, maybe that might actually be what, what the supplier can actually give you at the time. Yeah, if you think back to things in the 60s and 70s, like toys from that, that era when they're you know plastic toys they're always a slight tint yeah exactly so i mean because they actually can't make the 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 different colors uh because of you know the technology and material science etc etc um but they still do it so they must have stuck around but she was in charge of lighting as well so she would have chosen you know how how the spacecraft was lit you know what kind of bulbs and how it was you know how how it was going to be done and all those kind of things so she really is an, an absolute trailblazer. So, you know, it's it's a shame, isn't it? I think she definitely needs... She is the space legend of the week. Oh, only of the week? Me. Only of the week. Yeah, we'll have another space legend next week. Don't worry. What happens if midway through the week, like, somebody stops an asteroid single-handedly with a homemade rocket? Do we have to change... Space Legend of the Week, or we just reschedule to the next one? No, we just have to keep rescheduling. Okay. Yeah, that's what that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is one last thing that we should mention about uh, Galena, and that is she designed the one thing that you might recognize of hers is the Apollo Soyuz test program official emblem which sort of came out in 1973, which was handed out on lapel pins. Um, And she actually never had her name attached to it. And one of the reasons was that her name was a state secret. You know, you're not allowed to to have it. But also her superiors 
would be enraged by the fact that she was taking artistic credit for the Apollo Soyuz test program badge because they've basically it's their it's their intellectual property because it's like we asked you to do it you know so that it's <laughs> and so she was almost sent to jail for 8 years when her name was attached to that uh, uh Apollo Soyuz test program official emblem there were uh, some some workers actually kind of put out these certificates uh, that sort of said, "Oh yeah, Balashova's um, <laughs> Balashova's design," and uh, so she almost went to jail for it until she sort of persuaded people that it wasn't her fault that her name got attached to it. That's that's insane. Soviet Russia really is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how they saw it. You know, you're working for the state. You you, you can't really claim credit for anything because you're being told to do it <laughs> fair mm. enough fair well yeah i mean it's certainly not how we do things around here galena space legend of the week it's interesting and i think this is going to be my first of many many podcasts about that design element of of the humanizing of spacecraft i think it's really important it's a we series like yeah, I think we I think so if you're out there and you are a space architect or want to speak speak about space architecture. Um yeah, let me know and we'll have you on the show. Be really awesome to hear from you. Um talking of space architecture, George, you wanted to talk about um you wanted to put, talk about more graphic design, didn't you? What did you have in, in yeah, mind? Yeah, I had in mind the Futura font, which was the official font used on Apollo the Apollo programs. So all of the UI, all you know, all the gauges and the buttons were all labelled using this font from 1927. Uh, yeah, 1927 as well. The, the amazing it's thing like about this a- font, right, it's called Futura, and it was a, supposed to be a mm-hmm. font a, for the future. Not only was it being used in, the, in 1969, but then they continue, it's now continued to be popular, and it's still, you know, mm. it's still one of the the main fonts i saw this graphic designer he made a video called something like the six fonts the the only six fonts you need for graphic design and one of them is futura because it you know it's so extensively used if you think about supreme for example the clothing brand uses the font in their logo ikea up until recently wes anderson as well he's it's kind of a cliche in wes anderson films to have futura and basically everywhere um so yeah, it really is one of those fonts that's just... Did he set out to make it very, very clear and and fast to read? Yeah, well, it, well it's... Is, a, that, is that the idea? It's, it's, it's a sans-serif font, which means... And sans-serif means without serifs, and serifs are those flicks or, you know, things you add to letters which don't really add to the meaning, but are just sort of stylistic. Mm. So it's, it's from this kind of German modernist um, school of thought called uh, the Bauhaus... Or I don't know how to pronounce like mm. Bauhaus or something. No, no, but it is Bauhaus. Yeah. Bauhaus. Bauhaus. Yeah. Uh, yes. And uh, th- they, their idea was basically anything, every, every line and everything had to be thought out and functional. And so it, f- mm. for that reason, the font is really easy to read uh, as, as well as other things, So that, which is the reason it was used on Apollo. Because even if the spacecraft is spinning around and their heads are moving, you could, you'll still be able to read, read the f- words clearly yeah i mean it's it's hard to imagine how much of an influence it's had really isn't it because i guess when you look at like the sign 
sign painting and stuff like that from the Victorian era, letters look a certain way, don't they? And then suddenly you have this this font based on sort of geometric circles, triangles and squares, you know, like keeping it super simple and but and but somehow also there's something pretty about it as well, isn't there? But it's 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 unbelievably modern, isn't it? As a as a, as, as a font, yet it's nineteen twenty seven. It's really weird that it's nineteen twenty seven. Now here's here's a little uh, here's a little variant of it. Um, th- there's a Cyrillic variant called a uh, 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 of Futura medium uh, by Anatoly Muzanov, and he used it for the nineteen eighty Summer Olympics that were held in Moscow. So the, even the Russians have sort of changed it. But it wasn't just NASA using the Futura font. Because, I mean, it's yeah, literally on everything, charts, documents, instrumentation, everything. But also Boeing airliners use it for their cockpit controls. Yeah, so it's really common for any English um, controls are always, you know, for, for things like planes, rockets. It's a really good idea to use a font similar to that mm. for the controls. You know, you don't want it to be in like this really handwritten, uh, you know, bells and whistles handwriting because it just won't be readable in, in an emergency. No, 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 no. I think Mercedes-Benz use it as well. Yeah, and their logo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I said I was going to be talking about um, about design stuff and Julio sent over a little uh, space fact did you know that the Apollo eleven, the Apollo eleven mission patch, doesn't have the names of the astronauts around it, breaking with tradition? So, if you look at all the other Apollo missions and most other space missions, full stop, it always has the names of the astronauts around it. But because Apollo eleven was so important and so kind of iconic to all of mankind, so timeless, timeless, Michael Collins the obviously one of the three people that went to the moon but didn't actually tread on the moon, Michael Collins, the command module pilot, he designed the Apollo 11 mission patch and left everyone's names off because he wanted to represent everyone who worked towards the historic mission, thus making Michael Collins even more of a legend than he could possibly be. And yeah, and he's even retweeted the the interplanetary podcast before he passed away. How, do they get to choose the position? They uh, is somewhat the position that they get for the um, for the missions. I mean, did he choose to be the commander? Deke Slayton, who who chose who would go in what position, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and told Neil Armstrong that he was going to be the first person to go down the ladder because he thought that Buzz Aldrin was a little bit too cocky and that that the public would. <laughs> prefer Neil Armstrong, who was this... Preferred his first words. Yeah. Well, it's just the fact that Neil Armstrong was a little bit more humble, a little bit more remarkable as a human being. Although Buzz Aldrin is just ridiculous as a human being. Like, the amount of stuff that he developed for the Apollo program. I think people just think of him as just being this outrageously good pilot who could fly a, fly a rocket to the moon. It's like, no, he's actually also... He designed things like using the swimming pool to practice spacewalks and did a lot of the orbital mechanics and stuff like that and invented cyclers to go to Mars and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Buzz Aldrin's absolutely genius. All, all, all the uh, test, pilot, test pilots from that era 
like they all have you know crazy stories because you've got to think it's like you're testing out all of these experimental jet planes. So these are like the first people to travel at the speed of sound or the first people to go at the upper atmosphere in a plane. Mm. Well, Neil, so, Neil Armstrong was. I mean, Michael Collins was a was a fighter pilot, so was Buzz Aldrin, but Neil Armstrong was a test pilot as well. In fact, Neil Armstrong was a civilian because he was a test pilot where Buzz and Michael were actually military personnel, so not being paid as much as Neil. <laughs> This is a little as a side as a side issue. Anyway, before we go, George, because it's turned out into a nice long podcast in the end. God damn it! Always ridiculous. I, I need to thank all the other patrons. That the absolute level of glory is just I can't even contemplate it. How much are they donating to these top ones? M- more money than you can ever imagine. No, the, okay. So here we go. Um, I'm not going to say that because it feels rude. So here are all the here here are a shout out to my current patrons who are absolute legends. That is the legend that is Mark Kelly, not to be confused with actual Mark Kelly, but Mark Kelly who has a beautiful um brewery in Wandsworth that you should go and visit Sandbrooks. So uh Mark Kelly, Steve Croucher, Owl Broom. We have Jim King, Jim King, the greatest human Swiss knife Swiss army knife ever. Uh, Adam French, Ronald Hatcher, Jacob Economy, Kenton Hokanson, Gene Watchtonick, Tyrrell McAllister, Arden Vala, Tristram Hyde or Tupper Hyde, we've had him on the show, Neil Hansen, Stas Schuscher, John Benack, Niklas Gillenstein, Marissa Davis, Mark Schoen, Rob Annabel, Malta Keishling. In fact, I should mention that Rob Annabel uh, gave me the tip about Galina Balashova book. Good old Rob, actually an architect. So maybe I should get him on to help me with the architect one next time. Bob Moore, Dr. Bob Hodges, Paul Hilton. What an absolute legendary gang of people that is. If you want to join them and myself on the Discord, um, come and join us and, and join in with the conversation. George, thank you very much for doing that over in Devon and across the That's Zoom. That's all right. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you soon, Spudcats. Bye-bye, Spudcats. Goodbye. Goodbye.